Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I'm a big, bright runaway sign. They pop over the top of the hill and they see a big red beard and a bald, shiny head. I mean, that's out of place for sure. <laughs> I actually had him in bow range five times and never was able to let an arrow go. We ended up listening to bulls till, yeah, I think, 4 30 in the morning. I got about five minutes into my hike and there was bulls screaming everywhere. I look back at that and I tell my kids, I tell my grandkids, and I'm like, yeah, I'm a tired of home and I hunted elk and I saw wolves and I saw moose. You know, I got charged by a, a cow moose at 20 yards. So from every crappy situation, something good can come from it. This is Andrew Scott and you're listening to The Wild Initiative. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. Our culture needs people that are leaders and not people that are waiting for somebody else to show them how to do it. Those fields of tofu, that was formerly habitat for wildlife. You're killing off wildlife by being a vegetarian just as much as a hunter when he kills a deer. I'm like, well, you see that bush right there? <laughs> There's your bathroom. <laughs> My dad wears a Levi jacket. He sits in front of a sagebrush, and he tells me the best camo is hold still. Not to Donnie Vincent this, but be relentless in everything you do. Don't crap out. Go back to the truck with excuses or whatever. Okay, assume I get a deer. How do I cut it up to fit into a Honda Civic? Just get outside. Just get outside and go. Because once you do, it's all gravy from there. Hey, this is Zach Griffith. This is Hannah Barron. This is Jason Phelps of Phelps Game Calls. Hey, guys, this is Cody Rich from the Rich Outdoors podcast. What's up, guys? This is Chad Mendez. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. Hey, y'all, welcome to another episode of The Wild Initiative. Today, I am sitting down with my buddy, Andrew Scott, my bearded brother here up in Oregon, and uh, we're going to chat a little bit about hunting. Andrew, thanks for hopping on with me today, brother. No problem at all, man. Thank you for having me on the show. So you've been listening, so you know how I like to start these things out. Uh, Why don't you just kind of give me some background on yourself, how you got started into all of this hunting stuff? Okay. Um, name's Andrew. I'm 32 years old. Uh, grew up in the woods for the most part. Um, 
you know, I started rifle deer hunting 12 years old. I mean, I would go around and hunt with other people and stuff like that before I could hunt. But, you know, family was typically hunting a lot. Um, I hunted quite a bit through high school, took a little bit of break because of football and sports and stuff like that. Um, hunted a little bit outside of high school for a while. Um, I would say I, I hunted, but I wasn't a hunter back then. I would say that it wasn't truly until I really started archery hunting that I started hunting and became a hunter. Um, a lot of times I was um, hiking my rifle around to say <laughs> just the average, you know, typical guy that doesn't really do a lot, doesn't scout, you know, buys a tag, goes out for 10 days or five days or whatever the seasons here in Oregon are typically pretty short. Um, you know, I think rifle deer seasons were. 12 days and i think the longest elk season was nine but other than that i never really got out in the woods didn't know a lot about wind thermals terrain all that kind of stuff so wasn't super successful a lot when i was younger um was like i said it wasn't really until i started getting into archery and realizing how big the wind and the thermals and terrain and setups and elk behavior and animal behavior period was like that i actually started to actually be more successful in hunting so growing up, you know, I shot quite a few deer, stuff like that. Um, you know, was in on some elk hunts and different things like that, but didn't really find consistency, I would say, until, oh man, four years ago, I'd say, when I really started archery hunting. So it's kind of how I got into things. Um, had family members teach me, you know, the tracking and all that. I can track a lot of stuff and different things like that. But, um, yeah, you know, like I said, as far as hunting, you know, I was more of a, a rifle hiker to say, <laughs> so, <laughs> which, you know, I'm guessing everybody kind of goes through a bit of that in their, the beginning hunting days or, you know, being younger and stuff. And some guys just get crazy into it, but you know, I, I was, I was one of those guys that took a lot of years to be successful. So I, I've got to say, on that for sure. you know, if, if you're, if anybody tells me they're like, you know, when you make a comment about bow hiking or rifle hiking and somebody's like, Oh, I don't know what you mean. They're either the dumbest lucky person on earth or they're a liar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree, man. I totally agree. I used to think that the guys I would hunt with that were successful were lucky. I didn't realize they actually hunted. They knew what they were doing. So, you know, I'm, <laughs> hiking my bow through the bushes, making tons of noise, not watching the wind, wondering why I don't get lucky. And all the guys around me were being successful. And the difference was they were hunting, you know? So yeah, if you're not, if you haven't hiked your bow or your rifle around, you either haven't hunted a lot, you haven't hunted very long, or you're one of the luckiest people in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't understand that, man. Like, you know, you hear about all these you know, uh, everybody talks about them, you know, when people, the kind of people that are just like, yeah, they just, you know, cruise around until they see something and then they hop out of their truck and shoot it. And da, 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 yeah. like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't even get that. Yeah. You know? And, and again, like that's, that's not how I want to hunt. Yeah. But no, not at all. I'm like, I, I just don't even understand how people can be that lucky. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I bust my ass. Yeah. <laughs> and how, I know. how is that even possible? Yeah. I mean, that I agree, man. I think I've seen two elk from the road when I'm hunting. I mean, it just doesn't happen for me very often. I'm a, I'm one of the guys that hikes a lot of miles, <laughs> <laughs> put down a lot of miles on the boots and do a lot of calling. So, 
So you this year had uh, you had a successful season, but yeah. it was kind of a kind of a little interesting story about about <laughs> when and when and how it happened. I'd yeah. love for you to love for you to give me the story. Yeah, um, archery season this year, 2019 Oregon archery season. I actually drew a draw tag this year and scouted quite a bit i wouldn't say quite as much as i typically do but um got out a decent amount i take my son with me a lot um he's six years old now and honestly he puts in a lot more miles than a lot of the grown men that i've hunted with and uh, you know he'll go out every two to three weeks and scout with me and we'll do six seven eight miles a day by the end of the summer and he's packing and walking the whole time so you know he does awesome at that but so I started archery season off actually kind of slow. Um, I only hunted about three and a half, four days for the first three weeks. Just work stuff came up and family things came up and life and, you know, it just timing wasn't working out. And, you know, actually it was my wife who was like, you, you really need to take some time. Otherwise you're not going to be a happy person, you know? And <laughs> I would agree with her. You know, that's kind of my reset. That's, that's where I kind of self-center again is out in the woods and grinding and, you know, so she told me to go take some time. And I was like, you know, I'm going to take five days. Our, it was the last week of season. I figured I would leave on the 13th, take five days, be back the 18th. Our 10-year anniversary was the 19th of September. Um, then an archery hunt when I got married. <laughs> so now I'm doing with having an anniversary and uh, birthdays inside archery season. But I've got an awesome wife. Um, she's super cool about it. So, you know, I put in five days. And we ended up having a job get postponed back in town. So I called everybody and said, you know what? I'm not coming home till the end of the season. I'm going to be out another five days. So I spent three days in the draw unit and got in some elk, got in some bulls. Um, never really got anything talking. Um, I think in those four days, I did about 59 miles in that draw unit. I just cover a lot of ground and bugling all the nooks and crannies and glass and follow tracks and um, I had some bowls within 70 yards, but nothing really wanted to play the game. I'd sneak in, they'd be quiet, I'd cow call, and they'd walk the other way. Just one of those things where they just weren't weren't there. Um, I ended up seeing a cougar in the road the night before I ended up leaving, and that's actually what ended up getting me to leave the draw unit. Um, wasn't having a lot of success in there. Saw the cougar in there, made a big seven-mile loop the next day after it rained to see if I could cut fresh tracks. Nothing was in there, no bugles, no fresh tracks. So I was like, you know what, I'm going back to camp. I packed it all up, ran back into town, called my wife on the way, asked if she could prep some more food for me. Um, she's super cool about doing that. You know, she's always prepping food, making mm -hmm. me healthy stuff, and all I have to do is warm up, which is awesome. I mean, at the end of the day, when you're hiking, you know, 10 to 13 miles a day, you know, last thing you want to do is cook every night. And I don't honestly do great with a whole lot of mountain house <laughs> i'm one of those guys where i i turn into a balloon if i eat a lot of mountain house and I have a hard time walking and closing my hands and just doesn't doesn't do great with my body so all that I salt back in the swells town. you I up man oh man yeah it's brutal i can do a couple of them throughout season but other than that it's i just can't do them multiple days in a row so um you know, after three, four days in that draw unit, I jetted back home. I got some more food. I got another pair of boots. And uh, I actually went back to an over-the-counter over unit that I typically hunt. 
and I spent a couple of days in there. Um, I had bulls going instantly right off the bat on my first hunt out in the morning. I just, I, part of it, I think I know the area a little bit better, a little more confident with where the elk came. Had bulls going, you know, other hunters were in there, and I typically all shut up and let them call for me. And elk ended up boogieing down towards private. And typically I don't hunt that close to private, but this is just one of those spots where there's always a, a, a herd of elk in there. Um, typically there's one or two bulls working that area. There's always some cows in there. I've gotten into them in years past. I've never shot one in there, which is kind of funny, but I've always gotten into them in there. So that was a 17th, 18th game, and it was a bugle fest from first light. <laughs> um, I got about five minutes into my hike, and there was bulls screaming everywhere. I, had, I think I had four bulls going nuts. Um, I had a five-point across the drainage I had eyes on. I caught him. I, I called him into the bottom of the drainage. I knew it was a slim chance that he was going to drop into the bottom and come up my side. You know, typically elk won't come up the hill towards you kind of glad anyways the thermals were probably going down in the bottom of that drainage um so he hit the bottom and actually walked the bottom out and i let him go because i would have pressured in i'm pretty aggressive especially in the over-the-counter units i would much rather push 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 and blow the elk out for the most part or screw up an encounter than not be aggressive enough i see that a lot in that unit um, guys get a bold bugle or any elk to talk and they sit in that spot and they're hoping to call them in a thousand yards so typically you're looking for a one in a million elk to do that in my opinion especially you know with that many people in a unit and getting pressured um so i let him go i actually went after a herd bull and he went quiet and actually crossed out of there and i couldn't end up finding them um ended up cutting back up this drainage got that five point to chuckle again and i actually had him in bow range five times and never was able to let an arrow go he oh. was just stopping the wrong spot it was it was a little bit harder area too because it was a little bit more open pondos and uh i actually like a touch thicker um i don't really like where you can see 100 yards um typically i really like to hunt the stuff that's 30 to 40 yard uh line of sight mm-hmm. um had him in bow range a bunch of times. I mean, I dogged him for four hours. I ended up doing four and a half miles, just bugging the heck out of this bull, um, getting him to call, playing the game, using the terrain to have him come in. And he would stop, you know, one, one step shy of my shooting lane. Or one time he was raking and I crawled in the 40 yards and I stood up to shoot and I felt the wind on the back of my head. Uh. And he lifted his head ran about 80 yards and started chuckling again. I mean, he was obviously rutting pretty hard. Didn't, didn't go too far. Um, I ended up running him by a camp and they bugled at him, scared him. They were upwind from him. So he caught their wind and saw him. They ran across the road, and, but he was still talking. So I went after him and uh, crossed the road on him and couldn't get him to talk again. So I sat down on a stump and I ate some food and made some caffeine and I'm 40 yards off the road in a reprod patch. You just can't see me. So I'm sitting there, honestly, having a, a pity party and pouting on the stump. And uh, <laughs> it, it's funny. It was. I have a video of it. And then I made a video right after that. I'm like, man, I'm sitting here pouting, feeling sorry for myself. And I hear just a really low, Ew. and so I chuckle back. I put an arrow in, take two steps to my left, and that five points, 25 yards looking at me with just the right side of his head and his antler sticking out from behind the tree. 
And I was like, you got, he just turned to walk through the reprod. I just couldn't see him anymore. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. And I was, you know, at that point it's almost comical. Cause I'm like, now, now he's, now he's starting to get to me. Now I'm going to get him. <laughs> so I figured, you know, he, he's wanting to come back down into a certain area. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to cross into an area that I hunt. I get into a lot of elk in this one little basin in there. You got to hunt it right. If you don't hunt it right, you're blowing everything out because it's a super consistent wind. Um, it's harder to get in from the right way, like three miles, three and a half miles to get in there. But you can come in off the top, but by the time you hit the bottom, everything knows you're there. So I went into that area, and this is actually the day before I killed my bull. I went into this area that I know, and I bought a, I got a bull to crack off, and we went back and forth three or four times and I'm cutting distance and pushing in on him. And then he went quiet and I'm like, man, he must have cows, you know, a little timid. I was like, I'm just going to keep pushing on him and see if he'll come to play. Well, all of a sudden I hear a branch break and I see his antlers coming up over the hill. I didn't realize he had gone quiet cause he was coming in. So I'm yard selling everything, tossing bows, tossing packs, getting my, you know, my release hooked onto my loop. And he's standing at 30 yards looking at me broadside. And I'm just pinned, haven't drawn, nothing. He puts, and that's, this is, so this is part of the reason that I paint my face up so much. Um, people <laughs> give me a hard time about it, you know, and they have some funny names for the bulls I kill and stuff like that. Yeah, man. You know, I but, really uh, didn't want to bring up your racist tendencies yeah. here on a live podcast, <laughs> but, you know, it, this is yeah. this is 2020 now, bro. That's that's not cool. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know. And people always give me our dime, you know, Sasquatch and this, that, and the other. And they call it a certain power bull, <laughs> um, certain color power bull. <laughs> Keep it PC. But uh, you know, and that's part of the reason I paint my face because that bull came in, looked directly at me, 10, 15 seconds, and then didn't see what he wanted to see. Put his head down and started walking. When he started walking, I drew and I had to lean through branches. And when I drew, he spooked a little bit and uh, he ended up being quartered away pretty hard. I held for 40 and shot. And as soon as that arrow left, I realized it was off the mark. Uh. And I actually hit that bull in the top of his hunch and you get that instant pit in your stomach. Um, you know, I, 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 when I shot, I knew I either just hit him in the top or I, or I missed him high and uh actually ended up hitting him which I was really bummed about um I tracked him out for a little ways he only bled twice in two spots not much you know and a lot of people won't say these kind of things but I'm an open book that everybody screws up everybody has bad shots you know that's just the way the cookie crumbles when you're bow hunting I mean honestly it happens in rifle hunting too just bow hunting's a little less forgiving mm -hmm. you know um so I'm not afraid to say, you know, yeah, it's happened and it's happened more than one time where I've had a, you know, not, not necessarily where I've shot things and lost them, but where, you know, something has happened and I'd hit a branch or, you know, one time I shot an elk and they turned towards me and I hit their brisket, perfectly broadside, leveled my bumble, pulled the trigger. And as soon as I pulled the trigger on my release, that elk took a step towards me and opened up its front leg and I hit right the brisket. Um, things happen, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. that's just how it goes. I found my arrow on that bull. looks like it went in part way, came back out. The one nice thing I really did like is I actually got him the bugle again after he got shot. I did about five miles gridding in there that day. Um, never was able to find him. 
So, you know, I was pretty bummed. I think that's probably the hardest part about hunting solo is staying up when stuff like that happens. I don't hunt with a lot of people to say. I, I typically run solo a lot. There's three or four guys that I, you know, spend some time with in the woods. But a lot of, you know, to the last three elk, I, last four elk I've killed have been solo. Um, just kind of mm-hmm. fun to me, you know, just that one-on-one. You know, it kind of reminds me of a jujitsu boxing mma kind of thing you know it's just that one-on-one it's you and your opponent there's nobody else to screw it up it's all on you if you screwed up that's your jam if you do it right you get all the glory like it's just you know this is kind of how it plays out so i kind of like that aspect of it um so i ended up hitting him high i crossed out of there after doing five miles I ended up getting out of there in the dark so that was september 18th september 19th was my 10-year anniversary um my wife told me that her anniversary present to me was to continue to hunt for the next five days. Um, <laughs> you know, I'd been grinding pretty hard at that point. Um, I think I was averaging about 11.8 miles a day. Um, so that was six or seven days straight. And so the next morning I'm like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go in, I'm going to hit that drainage. I'm going to zigzag all the way down through the bottom of that thing. See if I can't find the bull, see if I can't get them to bugle something and then once i get out of there i plan on getting out of there about mid-morning i figured i'd go spend the day with my wife for our 10-year anniversary come back that night after dark and then hunt the rest of the season well i start making my way through this drainage the upper end of this drainage and start working down the funnel of it and uh i got a bowl to crack off and i'm like man it's got to be the same bowl 200 yards away from where i shot the one the day before um cut some distance on him he was definitely a little bit more timid so i don't know if he'd been messed with or anything but he really didn't want to go bugle for bugle i really had to push it on him pretty hard so i i got him to crack off about 200 yards um i cut the distance to i'd say about 80. um got him to chuckle again i broke some branches i'm super loud when i'm hunting and calling um <laughs> I'm, a lot of people think you got to be quiet when you're bow hunting i'm to me it's the opposite dude i'm super loud when i'm walking i'm breaking branches i'm kicking logs i'm throwing rocks like i just try to mimic an elk mm-hmm. so i do that to this elk and i look downhill and i got a patch of reef rod i look across from me and it's all deadfall and this is one thing that i finally starting to learn is the setups and i sit there and i'm like man this elk's never going to come into here i was like it's just too thick there's not an easy way for him to get in with having an advantage against me so I cut another, I'd say 35 yards and I get to an area that's more open and I chuckle and he chuckles back and then I can hear a branch break. So from the day before where that bull went quiet, I waited a little bit longer on this one. So I did learn a little bit of patience from the day before. So that whole bull the day before actually helped me get this bull on my anniversary. So I ended up calling him in. I ranged the three lanes. I thought he would come through. He came through one of the lanes I thought at 32 yards. Um, he was smart when he was coming through the trees. He was pretty slow going. He was definitely looking pretty hard for finding an elk or something that was there. Um, same thing happened. He looked right at me, didn't see what he wanted to, put his head down and start walking. I cow called at 32 yards and shot him. And uh, he went 80 yards and died. Um, text my wife and said, happy anniversary. I got you a bull. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, it's funny, and that's what I told her, and she was super stoked and happy, and the kids were ecstatic. You know, they were. I was keeping them updated on the inReach because I don't have a lot of service in there, so they were super happy mm-hmm. getting all the 
the text messages as I'm like, hey, I shot one. Hey, I got one to bugle. I found the arrow. I found blood. I was like, I can see him laying there. So they were, they were just, she said they were just hooked into the phone, just waiting for the next message to come through. So I always thought that was kind of fun. But uh, yeah, I ended up shooting him. He ended up being, a, he's a big five-point frame, not not ginormous. I'd say the bull the year before was taller, a little bit thinner. But this bull, in two years, this bull would have been an absolute stud. Mm-hmm. So he, is, he was, I mean, he's a five-by-five five frame. He actually splits on the end. So he has about six inches of six points. And then he's got about an inch and a half long devil tying off his G1 on his left side. Really long G1, G2s. He's got his typical Oregon thirds that were about eight inches. They always are small around here. But he was 48 inches wide. He was a really wide bull. And that's the first thing I noticed when he came from the trees that day. So, um, yeah, I ended up working him up. Um, I love the process of breaking him down. Uh, A lot of people say that's when the work begins to me. I feel like you're lucky if you get to do that a couple times a year, at least once or twice. So you <laughs> might as well enjoy the process. So I, you know, I, I carry a phone charger and stuff like that in my bag. So I put on music and I start working, you know, I, I, I really enjoy breaking them down like that. A little bit hard in some steep areas when you're running solo by yourself and you're dealing with a 600 pound animal, but mm-hmm. typically I just, you know, I got, let's say I take one side completely off and, take all the meat i rib roll them all that and pull the heart out pull the ten, tender loins and then i flip them and do the other side the same way fronts backs rib rolls back straps necks everything and uh you know i messaged some family members and stuff told them i got one down a couple of them said they'd come help me um they came up that night <laughs> it ended up taking me four and a half hours to uh break them down so by that point it was about eight o'clock at night seven forty-five, somewhere right in there and I figured, you know what, you know, I, I mentally, I kill myself a lot of times, physically and mentally. Um, mm-hmm. I just continue to push my body. And I don't know why. Um, the year before that, I did the same thing. And I, I ended up packing out a bull through the night and ended up being up for like 24 hours and getting them back to camp. Ton of fun. I'd have done it again in a heartbeat. But <laughs> so this bull, I ended up elite frog meat and I got him to a a spot about 400 yards majority of them I got to a spot about 400 yards below a road and uh, figured the next morning we come in and get them so you know I ended up packing out the antlers that night my cousin was supposed to come up and I thought he was coming up in where I was he ended up hunting a different area but my dad saw his rig down by my truck and he told me he wasn't there so I ended up I was actually going to stay in there because I didn't want to bail on him if he was coming up in there to try to help me out that night (laughs) you know and I was I was ill prepared you know I didn't have a sleeping bag I didn't have a den I didn't have anything you know I was playing on a day hunt so I put all my puffies everything I had on crawled up under a tree laid there for like 45 minutes and it was extremely cold (laughs) (laughs) like well you know what if he gets to this point, he can walk back out. So I ended up grabbing a note or a piece of paper and a pencil out of my first aid kit. And I just wrote, you know, if you get up in here, take the ridge top out. It's a lot easier. The bottom is horrible. And I stuck it on a stick on the meat and I grabbed the <laughs> antlers and I took off down the top of the ridge. <laughs> ended up getting out about two in the morning. And my cousin ended up being down in my truck. He was camping down there. And we talked about the hunt and what went wrong, what went right, and just went over everything. And we ended up listening to bulls till, man, I think 4.30 in the morning. It was just, they were just screaming down there. Uh, so we were pinpointing them, waiting for him the next day. And he asked me, you know, what 
what the plan was the next morning. And I said, I'm packing meat. I said, if there's elk talking, I said, you're going after them. I said, don't come help me. <laughs> so he ended up going after elk the next morning and me and my dad packed meat and then he ended up coming up and helping us pack out a load as well. So did that, um, got the meat all taken care of. So, you know, I wanted, you know, I got the antlers and the ivories and all that. I'd like to do big shadow box with the 10th year anniversary bowl and stuff like that. Just something fun to do, you know, oh, yeah. on that day. Super cool experience being the 10th anniversary, getting a bowl, you know, having a cool wife that lets you continue to hunt all the time, you know, doesn't ever hold you back, doesn't say, no, you can't go. You know, she's actually extremely supportive in that. Um, I got really lucky when it came to that. <laughs> I know not all wives are like that. And, uh, you know, I did. I got I got lucky on that one. So she definitely supports my, uh, I'd say a hobby, but it's more of an obsession, more than likely. So, but yeah, I mean, we ended up packing that bull out. We took care of him. Um, and then that night, I think we called in six or seven bulls and just never were able to get a shot on them. Um, ended up getting into a lot of help over those next three days. I ended up turning into a caller and I actually ended up running back into town one night about 10 30 at night and ended up picking my son up the next morning about 4 a.m brought him back out for the last two days last two and a half days of season and he stayed back with me and we were caller for the other guys hunting and ended up enjoying it and he had a ton of fun being out there so that was my 2019 Oregon archery season and kind of a cool experience and a cool story to be able to shoot a bull on your 10th year anniversary and not have anybody be upset at you about it <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah man that no. you know it's like not only was it the anniversary it's like the 10th anniversary too you know yeah That's I know. <laughs> yeah i will say i did feel bad i mean I, I felt bad for missing our anniversary i always if, if i'm gone on that i always feel bad you know mm -hmm. it is another day you know we've been married 10 years been together for like 12 years um i do make it up you know i mean the hardest part was I think 12 days later, I turned around and took off to Idaho for two weeks. <laughs> so I know that she was, uh, yeah, she was by herself for quite some time during the fall of this year. <laughs> so I, I have to make it up to her. I'm actually, we're going to end up going to Hawaii in a few weeks and just take a trip with the two of us and spend a week up there and get some time in, relax and stuff like that, you know, so definitely <laughs> got to make it up and make sure everybody's taken care of, you know, I mean, they all take care of me and let me do my thing. So return that favor and everybody stays simpatico that way <laughs> as long as it doesn't turn into happy hawaiian vacation honey i'm off to hunt axis deer and hog <laughs> that's funny i actually looked it up <laughs> i looked it up and i told her i said there's actually some pretty good hunting on hawaii and she's kind of looked at me funny and i was like yeah i probably won't go down that road this time <laughs> let's not it, it go died. down I'd, there yeah <laughs> I'd be I'd be lying if I say it didn't cross my mind. <laughs> I tell you, that's that's, that's one thing sure. I do really want to do. I, I I went on a family vacation. Uh, I went on a family vacation to Maui not too long ago. I want to say last year. Yeah, and I was I was started to look into it, but I just couldn't get my stuff together. Like I couldn't get the research done and get my crap together in time to really yeah go on it and if i if i did it would have been like a last minute hail mary sort of a thing yeah so i ended up i ended up booking a spear fishing trip instead which was a blast nice that's actually kind of fun because it's i mean you don't get to do a lot of that around where i live at least yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's something different 
and it was cool you know i went with my um, nephews and it was like a family thing so that that made it a lot of fun that's super fun yeah see i'd like to experience something like that just you know being in hawaii i've never been to hawaii so it's the first time i'm gonna be there so i think something like that would be a lot of fun to experience but you know we didn't do a resort you know we're airbnb in it so we're gonna be hiking and checking out places you know going back in the trails and stuff like that so we'll still be out and about but the hunting thing probably just won't happen this <laughs> go around well you guys should you guys should take a look at <laughs> look at spearfishing yeah um you guys could probably do that together it's it's honestly it's it's a lot of fun and it's like super super low-key yeah. um you know it like it's uh you know, at least the way we did it, it's, uh, it was really low key. You know, we were out for an hour or two and, um, yeah, I would highly recommend the spear fishing. Yeah, um, definitely. have to check that out. That'd be fun. That'd be really fun to do. So one thing, you know, we, we talked a little bit about, um, in your story was, you know, you, you go in and, you know, you take a shot on a bull and, and unfortunately you wound it, you know, it's, uh, yep. it's, it's kind of like, especially it's for any hunter. It's like the, any, I guess, ethical hunter. Yeah. It's just, it's horrible. It's like gut wrenching feeling when yep. that happens. Oh yeah. You know, not only yeah, are you, sick to your stomach. Yeah. I've been working so hard to get this bowl and you know, I either screwed it up or, you know, and then the whole thought of you, you know, you hurt this animal without, you know, harvesting. Yeah. How, I mean, how do you recover from something like that? Because I know I've been in there and it's, it's tough, man. Like wounding any animal just makes you feel sick. And, but then how you have to, I don't want to say put it behind you, but you have to take that and you can't let it affect, uh, affect the rest of your hunt in the way that, um, yeah. So, I mean, how do you, how do you go about recovering from that really? Like what's your mindset in that situation? It's definitely a mental game, man. You definitely gotta be mentally able to overcome that. I think that's probably what gets a lot of people after they wound something because then it turns into the whole, you know, the next shot they're thinking about the bad shot they had, you know, on that last elk or that last deer or whatever it is, or, you know, especially with archery, typically, you know, rifles, not, as bad to say um but i do see that a lot where you know guys they it starts playing in their head you know they start getting down on themselves and then you know they start getting trigger happy and they start punching the trigger and stuff like that um you know it it's it's kind of a weird thing but to me it's like a you know i i competed in jujitsu and mma and stuff like that quite a bit when i was younger i always played sports growing up to me it's like losing a match and it's kind of a funky way to explain it, but that's kind of what I can relate it to, you know. Um, I know it wasn't a lethal wound on this elk. He was bugling, um, running. He had no issue afterwards. I just hit him high, you know. I mean, obviously he had an issue. He had a you know wound on his back. You know, I'm not saying he wasn't hurt or hurting, but, uh, you know, so that's where the, I think the difference comes is where – you know, where like jujitsu is like, you know, you tap out, you're good. Bow hunting is a little different, you know, you're wounding something. And, uh, but to me, it's like taking a loss. Um, you have to be willing to learn from that and accept it and be okay with knowing that at some point during your hunting career, that is going to happen. Um, 
it's not exciting. I was pretty down to be honest. And I think that's running solo. I think that's even harder to have that situation come up and wound an animal and get over it quicker. Um, part of the reason I was going to take that next day for my anniversary, not to mention I hadn't seen my wife in a while, <laughs> my 10th year anniversary, but it was going to be a reset for me, you know, take half a day, get out of it, clear the mind, clear everything get back in there and hunt hard the rest of the time. Um, but just like a loss of what I was saying, it's just like a loss. You know, you have to be willing to learn from it. Um, if you can learn from it, it's not the worst thing in the world unless you lose that animal and it's dead. Um, I've seen that happen before. But um, knowing he wasn't lethally hit, knowing that he didn't die, knowing that he still lived, I was able to learn from that situation and carry it into the next day and shoot and that's what i mean that that bull that i hit high and i wounded that next day i think i would have pushed in a little too hard if what happened the day before didn't happen so from every crappy situation something good can come from it it's not going to be fun when it happens it's not going to be exciting nothing ever is losing an animal is not fun having a bad shot's not fun losing a match isn't fun but it's going to happen in life you know and I, I, I don't know if it's from competing and stuff like that, but um, that's just kind of my mindset towards it. You know, it's something that you, if you hold on to it, it's going to affect more things in the future. Um, it's not fun. It's never fun. But it's something that mentally you have to be able to set back on and just learn from, in my opinion. Now, if I hit that bull behind his shoulder and I didn't find him um, that day, the rest of the season would have been spent gridding out that whole entire drainage inch by inch. That was where my big difference was, was I know I hit him high and he was bugling afterwards. That would have made a big difference for how I handled that situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just the <laughs> term bow hunting sucks. That's where it comes from, man. Yep. I swear bow hunting is not fun. It's, it's bow hunting 0% fun typically from the time you, pull that release trigger to the time you find your animal unless you see it go down in front of your eyes that time period sucks <laughs> mm -hmm. it's not fun so it's just it's you know for me it's a big mental thing um you know everybody makes mistakes everybody's going to screw up you know factors come into play whether it's you mother nature the elk whatever at some point it's going to happen you got to be able to accept it you know um like I said, you know, I feel like if you could do everything you can, you know, whether you're tracking drops of blood or you're gridding it out or anything like that, that really helps with the closure process of having not a perfect shot on a bull or an animal, period. You know, and honestly, some people can handle those things better than others, you know, and it's not a toot on my own horn. It's just, it's just a kind of mindset that I've come to learn from <laughs> getting choked out or getting punched <laughs> in the head a few times. You know, I mean, it's, it's just true. You know, I, I got tapped out in a tournament last January and it's the first time I was tapped out in competition. I've had my butt absolutely handed to me in training for a lot of years. I get, I'm taking a lot of butt kickings. My daughter wanted to do this tournament. I said, let's do it. She was there and I was actually glad she saw me get caught by this guy. It was the last match of the, the very last match of, of the day. It was me and him that's all that was left and he caught me and you know was i happy no not one bit <laughs> i don't think anybody's happy to lose 
a match or anybody's happy to lose an animal or have a bad shot, you know, but I was happy because one, my daughter asked if I was upset and I said, no, it's okay to lose. It's okay to lose if you're willing to learn from it. I said, one thing I will tell you is that guy will never catch me in that move again. <laughs> that I guarantee because I will not be in that position ever again. And it's just kind of one of those things where it's just a mindset thing that you really have to sit back and be able to reflect and learn, you know, in my opinion, that's, that's a big part of it. You know, if you dwell on the past and what's happened. So to me, dwelling on the past affects your future. Yep. You know, and it's, it, it, it's a, it's a really hard thing to do to just wash it all out of your brain or mentally forget it. Or, I mean, I don't forget it. Every bad shot or whatever I've had in my hunting um, career, life, or whatever it is, hobby. Um, I can remember, and I still think about them. Don't get me wrong, one bit. I, I could still see everything. I could still see all the stuff that's gone wrong, you know. But I, I'm okay with putting that behind me, knowing that nothing died in that situation, and I did everything I could to find that animal. So, and like I said, you know, the next day, I took what I learned from that that mishap and ended up turning it into a success so you know sometimes that's just that's just how the cards fall you know so well i think there's a a really fine line that that you got to walk with something like that where it's you know it and and i think you described it really well where you you need to analyze it you you can't just try and be like Oh, it happens and brush it off and, and move on. Cause yeah, it, it's going to mess with you a little bit. Oh yeah. So you have to sit and analyze it and learn from it and find, you know, and, and understand what happened and why it happened. Mm -hmm. But then, then you have to package that up, put it where it needs to live in your brain and, and then move on and not dwell on it. It's like, yep. you know, you got this like little window where, where it, it's not a negative yeah. <laughs> and if you go outside of it then you start you know then it starts causing you trouble on the rest of your hunt yeah you know and if you don't feel that remorse or that you know you just brush it off and like whatever there's more i feel really bad for those guys man <laughs> you know i'm not saying that they're not you know liking respecting the animal or anything like that you know but i just don't know it's like sometimes you know they might come from a different place and they might have respect and that just might be how they deal with it. You know, they might've dealt with these things in life and, you know, say they served or different stuff like that, you know? Um, and they might be able to do that, you know, and just be like, yeah, whatever, another one will come. But to me, it's just something different, you know, Th to me, you still almost have to part of analyzing that and learning from it to me is part of respecting that animal, even if it was a bad shot, you know, I mean, I don't want that to go to waste on him, you know, mm -hmm. but, uh, uh that's just kind of how I feel about it. You know, I mean, still respecting that animal by trying to learn and trying to better yourself. So the next one doesn't have to deal with that either, you know, and it's just, to me, it's, it's, it's hard to self-reflect. It's hard to look back at bad situations and try to see the positive from them. Um, I feel like it's, it's a pretty strong person to have to do that. Um, if you've ever had to self-reflect, <laughs> it freaking sucks most of the time because mm -hmm. you're having to admit that you did something wrong and something needs fixed. <laughs> but if you're willing to do that, I, you know, if you're willing to do that, I feel like that can put you ahead as a hunter or person, you know, tenfold. So, so 
we talked a little bit about, you know, you kind of mentioned some of some of the things during your story, but uh, what are some of the the kind of challenges, additional challenges you face when solo hunting versus say hunting with a partner, obviously, you know, packing out meat, breaking yeah. down an animal. Um, there's a lot of kind of the mental aspect of you just don't have someone there to help push you. Um, yeah. But maybe what are, uh, what are some of the, the things you encounter that, that, uh, when solo hunting versus otherwise? I definitely say setups have to be different, especially during archery. Um, so I could put a couple analogies to this, but setups definitely in archery have to be different because you're going to typically be calling that bull straight in. So you're either going to have to use the terrain, you know, how it rolls or a dip or a set of trees he's going to come through to break you up so that he doesn't get that visual from 80 or 100 yards and picks you off. Um, and that's part of the reason, you know, I was saying I like to hunt closer quarter stuff typically. And that's a lot of times because I'm, I'm hunting solo. It's really hard to call an elk in when you can see a hundred yards and open <laughs> ponderosas or open junior pinion, you know, pinion junipers or whatever, you know, it, it gets to be a lot harder when you're running solo. So, um, I'd say that's one of the biggest things, um, is your setups have to be pretty spot on for the most part when you're hunting solo um as far as rifle hunting i'd say if you're able to glass and see animals from a distance and make a move that's when having a partner and running solo are different for that for me um idaho is a good example this year i had a bull i spotted a bull from like 1200 yards away over this drainage and it was a pretty nice bull he's big five by six one of the biggest bulls i saw in that unit and uh it was really hard for me because i was by myself that day going after him and uh you know you're you're trying to cut distance while trying to stay hidden but trying to keep eyes on the bull making sure he hasn't moved and you know just having that extra person there as a spotter to be able to communicate or relay to you or wave you off or tell you left right or he's looking or anything like that I feel like that's a big difference when it comes to rifle hunting with somebody and not hunting somebody, uh, mainly for elk, um, you know, but as far as archery, I definitely think that the the setups have to be spot on or much better and much more thought out when you're by yourself calling them in frontal like that. And again, you know, that's where that face paint comes into play. Um, mm -hmm. You know, obviously I got a big old red beard. <laughs> I got a big old bright and shiny dome because, well, my genetics let me go bald at like 24, 25. <laughs> Thanks a lot, genetics. And so I'm a, I'm a big bright runaway sign, you know? I mean, in all reality, <laughs> they pop over the top of the hill and they see a big red beard and a bald, shiny head. I mean, that's out of place for sure. <laughs> so there's always got to be a hat and there's typically always got to be some sort of paint going on. So, I mean, that's just kind of how I counteract it. I mean, that's just my thinking behind it. Does it help? I don't know. So far, it's not broken. So, <laughs> probably not going to change it a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, as far as just, you know, running solo, I'd say that's one of the biggest things. Um, what I'll tell you. It's just your setups really have to be good. That's one place where I, like, if I had to pick an area where I'm, like, I am really, really weak in my elk hunting. 
it's my setups. Um, and yeah. that is something you really can't be weak in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, no, that's true. But I feel like, you know, and I, I think that's part of it is the more you do it and the more at bat you get, I've screwed up a ton of setups. Mm -hmm. I've botched a lot of call-ins. I should have been here when I should have been there. I was behind the tree when I should have been in front of the tree. I was skylined when I should have dropped down behind the hill. Like, it's just, it's all, you know, learning that, like I said, you know, on that bull I killed this year, I hit that one spot and wanted to call him in there. And then I looked around and realized it's super thick, you know, it's waist high blowdown in one section and super thick reap rod on the next section. I'm like, it's just nowhere for them to come through, mm -hmm. you know? So it's just being able to recognize those things and you'll, you'll do it, man. I mean, you're putting in the time and you're grinding. I mean, I know Montana was a heck of a grind for you this year, <laughs> but I'm sure that you learned a lot from that too. And, um, you know, just the more times you do it, the better and better and more comfortable you're going to get with that and realize where they will and won't come in or how they will and won't come in. Well, I think setups are so you can, you can teach the theory behind setups. Like that's <laughs> the one thing you can teach, but teaching setups themselves, it's such a difficult thing because they're so individualized to each situation, what yeah. the wind's doing, what the brush is doing, where the elk's coming from, whether Mm -hmm. Whether he's curious or he's hot, whether you're calling in cows or bulls, whether, you know, I mean, there, there are so many nuances to a setup. It's insane. Yeah. And yeah, you can kind of talk to those things individually to some extent, but um, it's so hard to, to like just teach that. So it, mm -hmm. it's really just experience based. And yeah, I learned, I mean, yeah, I learned tons from Montana this year because this is the first year I've really gotten in heavily into elk and i've been able to um to make those mistakes and see how they react and yep. do all that and so it's i you know it's it was amazing this year i was i was floored the whole time i mean i was frustrated too every time i'd screw something up i'd get really pissed off yeah <laughs> and angry and i i'd start pouting a little bit but oh, yeah. um i'd still take that and i internalize it and learn from it but yeah, yeah. Was, uh, that's just what you have to do. I mean, and honestly, like the season I learned the most was a lot like how your Montana went. I just grinded it. I hunted like 22 days and I chased one bull around. I called him Harry because he sounded like Bigfoot. So I named him Harry from Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> the first time I, he cracked off, I told my wife, I was like, this sounds like Bigfoot, man. And that's actually, that's one of those times where I learned a whole bunch about setups and chasing elk because he was extremely smart. In my setups, I, I actually, the I got him the 40 yards one day, but I wasn't set up. He was actually just walking through. But it was one of those things where I made, I chased him for nine days, um, called at him. I would sneak into his herd. I had him, you know, in bow range, I think eight times, never had a clear shot. He had a bunch of cows. He was just a really smart bull, and I just didn't have that knowledge of setting up. Mm -hmm. And especially he, he liked, he had two benches. He liked the bed on, he lived on, I would chase him from one bench to the other, all back and forth, just all day long. And, uh, he was in a great place. He was up on a bench and it was about 60 yards. Oh, not open, but open timber below him. And he could see, and he just paced that bench tearing trees up left and right, but he would never come off of that bench. And so that's one of those times where it's like, you know, I learned a lot from him because you know, a few years later, I would have come in at a different angle. I would have been on the bench with him coming in from a different side and got on his elevation. 
you know mm-hmm. and so it's just stuff like that about learning and spending time in there and stuff like that but you know montana that'll be a huge learning huge learning experience when you get to spend that much time in the field so i think that you know i'd be surprised if next year you really don't get it done because of how much time you've been spending out there and learning and seeing how the animals act react to things fine put the pressure on me now man you know pressure's on (laughs) (laughs) hey it's not pressure i know i know (laughs) it's good vibes (laughs) hell yeah i feel it though too dude i mean every every year archery season comes i'm like oh you know i should have good odds but there's always that little bit of what if it doesn't happen you know you feel and start to feel a little bit more pressure about it it's like so such a weird yeah it's like such a away. weird anticipatory feeling like you're sitting there and you're like excited for it you're anticipating it but there's a little bit of like dread and anxiety too because you know what's coming like, oh yeah <laughs> you yep. know what you're about to put yourself through for you know a yeah. 12 percent chance of a reward <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, your odds aren't real great with what we do. Oh, man. <laughs> That's why I say, like, I'm like, people who do this for fun are kind of crazy. You know, your 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 odds of success are relatively low, but it's it, I don't know what it is. It's that pull, that drive, that mental grind, that physical grind that pulls everybody back year after year to continue to do it. So. I don't know what it is, but there's something there that's got us all. And honestly, I think we're all nuts for enjoying what we do. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, you know, everyone talks about like, you know, how elk hunting, this is the, the big romantic vision of hunting. You know, you're, you're in the, in the hills and you're, you're trekking through and you're, you're back there for days at a time. And, you know, you're searching for this giant, I mean, I, I still call them mythical animals, you know, they're, they're yeah. something straight out of a straight out of an anime film. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, what if we took a animal the size of a horse, made it look a little bit like a cow <laughs> and put six foot horns on its head? <laughs> yeah. And had it screaming in your face. <laughs> yeah. And then it makes a high-pitched scream noise. Yes. This is perfect. It's like straight out of a, you know, Hayao Miyazaki film for all my anime nerds. Yep. Um, oh, man. I need to go watch, if you've ever seen it, Princess Mononoke. Like, I don't care how badass of a dude you are. That that is such a cool film. <laughs> have you have you have you ever watched any of it, dude? Never, I've never seen it. I'll have to look up it. At one point, I, I, they ride elk uh, for one, <laughs> and at one point, ho- homie like shoots an arrow that rips off some other dude's arm. So I'm just saying, go watch Princess Mononoke. <laughs> it's awesome, and it's weird, man. All those movies are so weird. You're watching it, and you're like, "What the hell? Did I take drugs? Like, <laughs> is this what's actually happening?" That's awesome. Oh, no, definitely. I'll have to check that out for sure. Oh, man. I'll, I will post a link up on the show notes page. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Um, so as we're kind of winding down here, um, you know how I always like to tie things together is, you know, say you run into someone, uh, say you're talking with someone at work, whatever it, whatever it happens to be, and they're like, man, you know, I see you doing this hunting stuff. It's awesome. I've always wanted to do it, but I just, I don't have the background. Like I, there's so much to learn. I don't know if I am 
if I have the capability to do this, yeah. like what would you, what would advice would you give that person to encourage them to, to get their start? Honestly, just do it, man. If you want to do it, do it. Who cares if you screw it up or you're not successful at first? Nobody is, honestly. I mean, it's pretty uncommon that people are successful for their first couple seasons even. But um, I don't want to look back and wonder what if. What if I went here? What if I did this? You know? And so that's what I tell people. You know, I got a buddy who never bow hunted before, um, never really hunted, period. And he'd been looking at bow and I said, do it, man. I said, you know, what's the worst you're going to do? You get to shoot a bow a lot. You know, I mean, you got to hike in the woods and get some exercise. You might see some animals. You might feel your freezer, man. You know, I mean, I would suggest listening to a lot of podcasts. Um, you know, obviously there's Elk 101. Um, you know, there's the Elk Nut. You know, there's all these podcasts. There's YouTube channels. You know, if you really want to learn, there's the ability to be able to learn. And to be honest, that's how I learned. You know, I'm kind of a self-taught archer. I didn't, nobody around me r hunted. nobody called, nobody did any of it. I just, it's something I wanted to learn and I kind of just got into it and went deep, you know, podcast and YouTube and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, if the drive's there, if the person's willing to do it and not afraid to have an adventure, I, by all means, I tell them just do it, you know, I'll help you out as much as I can. I'll try to help you in the right positions. You know, I'll do some e-scouting with them, you know, I'll take them out. You know, I'll be a caller for people, you know, whatever. Just if you're willing to do it or want to try it or have a hankering to do it, just do it. And that's kind of how I feel, you know, about going out of state or different stuff. People, you know, get kind of nervous about that. I'm like, you could go. You know, what's the worst going to happen? You having an, an adventure, you know, you look back and say, you might not punch a tag, but I bet you're not coming back empty handed, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's just something that's just all I'd say, you know. I mean, really, for the people getting into it who've never really done it before. It sounds very daunting, um, you know, get, get a go hunt app, you know, membership, you know, check that out on X, you know, whatever mapping GPS, you know, Gaia, whatever you want to use, um, you know, YouTube, elk 101, if you want to elk hunt, you know, there's lots of mule deer stuff out there just go for it. You know, I mean, for all I care, I mean, be how I was at first, you know, take your bow for a hike, <laughs> see what it's like, you know, I mean. That's just how I am. If you have any kind of drive, just do it. There's one thing you said that really it reminds me of a conversation I just had recently. Um, you know, you're talking about like you didn't want to look back, and you don't ever want to look back and wonder like what, what if I if I took this chance? What if I did this thing I want to do? Yeah. And uh, you know, I just had I just had this conversation with a with a guy. Um, I met through, uh, you know, through, I mentioned, you know, Ryan Mickler's uh, Iron Council. And, you know, he reached out and I think he works in medical HR. Um, he's a city guy and, you know, he's happy. Like he, he doesn't like feel like he's, you know, living a bad life or anything like that. He loves the city, all of that stuff. But he sits there and, and he he pretty much told me, he's like, you know, I don't want to, I want to experience this one, at least once in my life. He's like, I, yeah, I may hate it. I, this may be something I never do again, but I don't want to wonder about this thing. He's like, I'm surrounded by, you know, all of these dudes that like, this is their thing. And there's something to that. So if I don't give it a try, I'm going to, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. And yeah, I really admired him for that because it's like, 
that's, I don't want to say it's a huge risk, but it's like when you put in yourself, I admire anyone that's willing to put themselves out there just full bore and try something that is so far out of their comfort zone. They don't even know like how to attack it, (laughs) you know? Yeah. No. And that's the best part, you know, just do it. I mean, he just like that, you know, he doesn't want to live with regrets, you know? I mean, the first time I went to Idaho, I didn't know anything about Idaho. Um, I literally bought my mule deer tag two days before October and threw a dart at the map and figured what, what could, you know, I mean, what's the worst mm-hmm. that could happen? You know, I ended up backpacking in Idaho backcountry and having a heck of an experience hiking, you know? Or you I get mauled by a grizzly bear. That's always, that's always a chance. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny because somebody asked me that. They're like, oh, don't the wolves and stuff make you nervous? I'm like, oh, not really. Honestly, people make me more nervous. Yeah. <laughs> like, it sounds funny. Grizzly bears, I haven't been around them a whole lot. So I don't, I haven't played, I haven't quite played that game. Um, I, I did get charged by a moose in Idaho this year. So that was pretty Western for there for a hot minute. But, uh, <laughs> you know, things like that, you know. But I look back at that and I'm like, what an experience, man. Like, yeah, luckily I didn't get my head stomped in, but. I look back at that and I tell my kids, I tell my grandkids and I'm like, yeah, I went to Idaho and I hunted elk and I saw wolves and I saw moose and I saw deer. You know, I got charged by a, a cow moose at 20 yards. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that stuff's fun to look back on, you know? Yeah. It's a little bit wild at the time and might get a bit of an adrenaline dump here and there, but you know, nothing bad happened. So, you know, that's like that, you know, it's an experience. So, something you're never going to realize or something you're never going to experience if you're at home in the comfort of your house. You know, that's, that was very far outside my comfort zone going in the back country by myself that first time. But you know what? It's like I said, you know, if you're not outside of your comfort zone, I don't feel like you're going to push yourself that far either. So mm-hmm. that's something you're not going to experience at home. You know, and I, I, I don't mind that. And I'd suggest that to a lot of people be uncomfortable a lot. Hell yeah. Comfort results in stagnation. Mm-hmm. Discomfort results in growth. Just, uh, I'd agree. Just chase it. But so if folks wanted to, uh, follow along with your often culturally insensitive, uh, elk hunts and <laughs> other adventures, <laughs> where can they do that? Um, I'm on Instagram. It's at the Andrew Scott underscore zero nine. Um, I've been piling together quite a bit of footage and pictures, documenting hunts and stuff, especially running solo. So I've kind of been kicking around the idea of starting up a page on Instagram just to post that stuff, you know, how the hunts go, what happened here, why this happened, what I put in my pack, you know, I, I make a lot of my own backcountry mule or mills and stuff like that now. So at some point I'll end up starting an Instagram page like that. Um, but yeah, for right now, it's just at the Andrew Scott underscore zero nine. Um, you know, you're going to see my family, you're going to see me and you're going to see a lot of hunting on that thing. That's about what there is. <laughs> Some jujitsu stuff like that, but majority of it's just family and hunting on my, on my Instagram, you know, blue collar under the table. I just, just the normal dude. <laughs> <laughs> Well, y'all, make sure you go check Andrew's Instagram out. Give him a follow. Check out the awesome bowl he took this year. And uh, Andrew, thanks so much for taking the time to hop on today. It was fun chatting again, man. 
No problem at all, man. Thank you for having me on here. All right, y'all, that'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Make sure y'all check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com slash 132. You can get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. All right, y'all, that'll do it for today, but hope this episode inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. Thank you for listening to The Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from the Wild Initiative family, and more. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby, 6-8 Western. A mule there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.